0: Hello everyone, this is part 2 of the interview with Chris Ashard. If you missed the first part, make sure you go to episode 49 to catch up on the details of Chris selling his SaaS business. In this part of the conversation, we talk about a wide range of topics including the next SaaS idea he has been working on, how he thinks about applying machine learning to SaaS businesses, and more. Enjoy! One thing that I heard on Dev, Christian asked you about uh, what you would do to build an app and try to sell it on MicroAcquire, almost like a, as a business. Someone who would build an app and then within a certain period of time, maybe get some revenue, maybe not, and just try to sell that as a way to generate revenue. Let's do this exercise with me. So yeah. if um, you were told to build an app with a goal of selling it on MicroAcquire in six months for 50K, Yeah. What would your plan be to go into achieving that? Well, is that even achievable?
1: Sure, probably. But is it repeatable is a different question. I'm sure you could do it. But whether or not you could do it more than once, that's a good question. Yeah, I think the advice I gave, which I think is still good advice, is if you're trying to sell something quickly, then do something in kind of a known market, especially like in one of these app stores, like a Slack app or a WordPress plugin or something. And something that has like demonstrable demand. That way you can even sell something without revenue because if it's a type of app that people are already buying in one of these marketplaces and you get everything all the way up into the point of just before you launch it, then you could probably sell it, you know, and the person buying it, they would have to be like a developer who just wants an app, right? But they know that they can probably get revenue just by flipping the switch in the marketplace. But I don't think you can get to 50K with that. For that, I think you would definitely have to show revenue. And the trick with revenue is on MicroRequire, I mean, everywhere, they do trailing 12 months. So I would probably try to get 12 months of revenue (laughs) because that sort of maximizes your trailing 12 months. Doing it in six months would be tougher, but growth is important. Um, And then just do the math on the multiple. So if you want 50K and you're talking about, you know, 5X, probably trailing 12 month revenue, then you need to get to 10K in total revenue in six months, which that's probably doable. Hard, (laughs) but probably doable. Yeah.
0: So find something that has demonstrable demand. So
1: Shopify,
0: App Store, iOS, Android App Store. I think those are harder, Android App Store, especially. Because those are more like one-time purchases. Yeah, WordPress, according to Matt, is a challenging place. Like Everything is open source and people don't want to pay for stuff. But yeah, there are only a few outliers. And then you would build it. But you mentioned you wouldn't try to get revenue.
1: If you don't get revenue you're probably looking at maybe like 10k as a sales price or less. So if you want to get to a 50k sales price then I would try to get revenue. Yeah. But you have to get at least 10k in revenue so for a 50k price sales price, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of
0: success stories where especially on sort of underdeveloped marketplaces. Maybe mm-hmm. Shopify right now is pretty saturated, but like whatever the next Shopify app store equivalent is.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The other thing I thought of is the more business to business you go, probably the better chance you have so i'm thinking even like like salesforce app you know whatever that app marketplace is called or you know like hubspot or find more of these like business to business style marketplaces and i'd probably try building something on there
0: cool what's next for you you're loaded with cash obviously (laughs) (laughs) uh
1: sure (laughs) yeah
0: one time exit uh founder right Exited founder
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like like I, it wasn't a huge amount, obviously, but it's enough to be interesting. And it's an, having gone through it once. I feel way more confident in doing it all again. It's kind of like so Rob Walling stair step approach. I sort of feel like this was my first step on the selling companies ladder. You know, I've gone through all the motion once. And so I sort of have a better idea of what to do for a bigger exit next time. Yeah. You're currently working on something. Another app, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing a couple things now. Like I mentioned, I'm in a part-time master's program for AI and ML. Like artificial intelligence is something I've been interested in since college and which was 14 years ago now or something. So I do like data competitions on Kaggle and a few other places. And I got to the point where I was reaching the limits of what I could learn, I felt, without some of the deeper like theoretical understanding. So I'm doing a part-time master's now for that, which is taking up a good chunk of time. But then, yeah, on the SaaS side, I started a new project. I'm calling it, for now, at least I'm calling it Acorn Chat. And it's one of these little chat widgets, like an intercom style chat widget, and specifically in the Slack app store. So you put this little widget on your website, and then your website visitors can talk to you through Slack, like right in your Slack workspace. And I'm doing that uh, for all the reasons I talked about. It's business to business. There's several of them that exist. And so I know that people are buying them, and it's uh, going to be in the Slack uh, marketplace. And so hopefully some distribution is taken care of. So that's all done, the first version of it. Uh, now I have to put it in the Slack uh, marketplace. And so I'm going through their checklist. They have a r- pretty long checklist of things you have to do before you can get it in the marketplace. And then it's going to take four to six weeks, they say, which feels like a long time. But yeah, so that's the next sort of SaaS thing I'm doing also while I'm, while I'm doing a lot of the AI stuff.
0: I'm interested in chatting with you after listening to makers.dev because there's a ton of interest overlap. So I also did a couple of AI courses and also I competed in a Kaggle competition not as successful as you i was just sort of throwing a whole bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks
1: cool yeah which one
0: it's one where i was trying to predict loans i was building a classifier with a teammate as we were both learning about machine learning and deep learning and we were trying to build a classifier to determine which loans would default okay For the AI stuff, do you see yourself implementing some of those things into your SaaS app? Or is that just completely separate interests?
1: It's possible. I've thought of several sort of AI-enabled SaaSes. One of the weird things about AI right now is that it's, it's, it's really good in really large enterprises when you have a whole bunch of data. And it's really good for certain kinds of small things. But I think it'd just be really difficult to to put it into a SaaS right now, except for a few different things. There's been a few real success stories recently. Tweet Hunter is one that has recently become sort of popular, and they're using GPT-3 or some variant. There's different variants to, like, help people write tweets. Although I think a lot of what they're doing is actually, like, just sort of combing Twitter for really good tweets and then surfacing them to people. So like a lot of their success actually has nothing to do with the AI side. It's mostly normal SaaS stuff. So but yeah, I have a lot of neat ideas in the SaaS arena. One of the things I'm super excited about, which is not necessarily a SaaS, at least not at the beginning is all the generative stuff. So I'm really interested in the generative, both language and like images, like some of the images being generated by AI now are you can get super realistic or you can go like it's really getting really good really fast. And so it's it's just neat to sort of stay on top of that. So yeah, no, no immediate plans for putting it into SaaS, but I think it could be, you know, in the future. Yeah.
0: yeah one of the challenges that I find with uh, machine learning and sort of this small scale SaaS space is that, like you said, right, a lot of the advancement comes from the big tech companies. And for a lot of cool examples that you see they're not really easily productizable if
1: right yep.
0: <laughs> if, if you yep. know what i mean yeah um so i talked to someone recently uh who went to this uh, machine learning study group with he's trying to bootstrap this business and he he's purely coming from the machine learning side because he's so enth- uh, enthusiastic about uh, machine learning and he's sort of you know it feels like that it It's very dangerous that he's, he's having a solution looking for a problem to solve. Right. Yeah. And I talked to him and he's like, well, every user that I bring in, the model kind of does the work 30, 40% of the way. And he's getting a whole bunch of bad reviews because, Mm -hmm. you know, people have a different expectation when, when you give like a really cool demo, but then when the app faces real world data, it kind of breaks 50% of the time. That's very undesirable. But not only that, he's telling me that his server costs, every single person that he brings in is actually costing him more because of the GPU requirement on the server and all that stuff. So it just feels like that it's something cool right now, that there are lower hanging fruits if you really want to build a SaaS business uh, versus trying to uh, shoehorn uh, machine learning in as cool as a lot of stuff machine learning is right now.
1: What are your thoughts? I think that's exactly right. So yeah, a lot of the machine learning stuff, especially the kind of more creative stuff like generating tweets, it works about half the time. So one of the really good tricks for that is to never show just one thing. So always like generate five to 10 things and then show those to the user. And of five or 10, you know, a user will probably find one that they think is pretty good. And so it's not like it fails half the time. It's more like all of the time, I get at least one that's good out of these 10. So that's one of the tricks for that is Just generate a lot of things and then have a human curate what they actually want to see. And yeah, other than that, like machine learning is really good at, for example, doing, you know, 10% better than a traditional algorithm on some task, like predicting loan defaults, right? Well, 10% better is not a product. 10% better is what you plug into an enterprise, you know, and when you're talking about, you know, a $10 million, you know, back end of an enterprise, then say 10% better is a million dollars. So it's worth it. But when you're talking about a new SaaS app, it just doesn't make sense in in the same way. Yeah. as an
0: enthusiast myself, I'm always trying to marry different things. But it feels the more I look at it, the more I feel like that is not there yet. Or like right now, if people are interested in incorporating machine learning, I'll just say, you know, use Google's API, use Microsoft Azure's API, instead of building your own model, which is what my friend is trying to do and try to surface that. And I'm like, Oh, that's that's a nightmare.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it can be tough. It'll be really interesting to see how the next, say 10 years plays out. I mean, that could always be said, probably, but. I'm really excited to see especially the advancements. Like every year, the like especially the image generation stuff, it gets ten times better every year and it has for the last say five years. And so uh yeah, I'm really excited to see like in a few years, maybe that is at a place where you could really, you know, you as a person could go up to some service and say, you know, I want a stock photo of, you know, whatever, and an AI would just give that to you. It is not there yet, but I can see something like that coming. So yeah, it just keeps getting better and better, but yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's there yet to just plug into a SaaS.
0: It just feels like that as a solo SaaS founder or as a small SaaS founder, there's already enough market risk (laughs) when you're starting something new. Now you're bringing something like machine learning where there's a ton of technical risk as well, because things are so cutting edge, you know, papers are coming out every single week. Yeah. It just feels like. Don't do that unless you want to raise a whole bunch of money and hire, you know, some PhDs, (laughs) a team of PhDs to uh, create the best model that is state of the art for two weeks and then, (laughs) which will be surpassed (laughs) by another team. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, We've talked about your sale of um, Meeting Place. We've talked about some machine learning stuff. You also mentioned that you created this sort of your own toolkit when you're starting a, a new SaaS with uh, rails and react is that the tech stack that you would be using uh whenever you want to start something new these days
1: yeah i've done ruby on rails since i graduated so it's at 2008 right so a long time now and then i've done react since like since it came out basically and yeah i really like that tech stack i sort of have my own way of using it i don't do a single page app i do several smaller apps so basically there's two ways to use react Um, One is where React is your entire site. So one single page app where someone goes to it and every page, like you never have a hard refresh. And then the other is where most pages are hard refreshes, actually. And then you just use React as the really sort of complicated UI parts. And that's how I like to use it with Rails, at least, because Rails can still do most of the heavy lifting and Rails does so much for you. Like all I have to do is add device and then I have full authentication, including like password resets and stuff like there's still a lot of magic in rails. If I didn't know Ruby, if or if someone didn't know Ruby and was looking to get into it, uh, and they just knew JavaScript, then I'd probably recommend something else, something like Next or something like that. Or Christian would tell you to do uh, Firebase, he's really into Firebase. But yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is to pick a stack that you are used to and can move quickly in. And I happen to to really like and can move very quickly in Rails and uh and React, so yeah. So how come React came into
0: the picture? So now we're going all the way to sort of the other end of the spectrum, right, where it's just boring tech and there's no ML, there's no blockchain. <laughs> it's just a business problem and finding out the distribution channel that works for you. So why even bring in React?
1: It's supposed to because in any web app now, you need something to do, like even stuff as simple as like toggles and forms. Like if you want to toggle, you need some JavaScript. And so you need some JavaScript in there somehow. And React is, happens to be the JavaScript framework I know the best. Um, it comes from, like, back, I had a job for a while, and uh, we used React there. So I just know it really, really well. Um, if I was looking for something totally new now, I might use, so Alpine looks pretty interesting. That's, like, super minimal JavaScript. Vue is also kind of interesting, although that's, so it's a little lighter weight than React, but heavier than Alpine. I would use something. I mean, even just jQuery is fine, I guess. But, yeah, I just, I just happen to know React really well. So
0: Cool. So is there anything else that you want to talk about that you haven't? I don't know. What are you excited about now? Uh, what are you doing? Well, outside of machine learning, uh, I am excited about the blockchain. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> like, who, who isn't? <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of like weirdness, craziness going on with NFTs. Yeah. I shared uh, a couple of weeks ago that I got my first NFT. I didn't buy it. I don't really understand it, but it was airdropped to me. So, yeah. uh, but it got me in started into this world into OpenSea, how do you list something on on OpenSea, interacting with smart contracts, which is something that you and Christian talked about too, right, with that game.
1: A little bit. Yeah. I haven't done any smart contract programming, but Christian was looking at it. This is kind of like a, you know, technology looking for a problem. Like I think he just wants to learn more about it. So, he's trying to figure out a good thing to do with it. And I still like even now, I think there are some good use cases, but I struggle to find something where it's much something that a solo dev can do, which is much better than just a centralized solution. Like most of what people use blockchain for now seems to be just a database in the cloud. There are some totally valid use cases. I I have a friend who works in sort of the fintech area and like they're doing some really interesting things with it. But I haven't quite found the use case where I'm like, oh, that's where it's really needed. But it's it's very interesting what everyone's doing with it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, one thing I kind of thought about, this is sort of like a half. Baked content. it's not even an idea, it's just like a, a thought, a random thought is that you know, sometimes we would see our fellow SaaS founder trying to create this um scarcity mm. by creating an uh what's that email client called? Hey, hey, did yep. this with well obviously your email address. So I think you can get like a four-character email address for like nine thousand dollars or something like that, or okay, nine hundred yeah. or a thousand dollars, and then so that creates artificial scarcity because once you claim chris at hey.com no one else could right? right so i was thinking about well you can use an nft it's still sort of somewhat of a novelty concept but in a sense SaaS, it's, it's sort of like a, just a initial growth engine where you create some artificial scarcity where i don't know you get a badge or you get an nft that is sort of somewhat of a representation of your status within your SaaS app but then again, you need a pretty, like, Hey, could do it because they have a huge marketing engine behind it with uh, DHH and, right. you know, the whole 37signal community. Yeah. But for solo founders, it's definitely somewhat difficult. Yeah. Um, I thought about, like, themes. If you're selling themes, it could be something that's reusable. You could resell it. You could even, you know, if you sell a hundred of these themes, because we suffer from this problem, right, where when there's a new trend, like right now is Tailwind, every SaaS website will look the same. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone can, you know, just use the toolkit or buy uh, Tailwind UI and go to town. So yeah, that's another thought where it's sort of like a skinnable concept. If a theme is done with a limited number of quantity being sold, then yeah, maybe along those lines.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think Christian's idea, when he first thought about NFTs, which clicked with me as well, was more around the like the scarcity around people who are already popular. So his example was like, imagine you can go to XKCD and what if he made an NFT of all his XKCDs? And you're like, I own XKCD number one, two, three. And like, obviously anyone can go to XKCD and see it, but like your name with a badge next to it, you know, like that's worth something to a lot of people. So yeah, I think like scarcity around something, but something that's already popular. So that's where I have the trouble seeing where like a solo founder could really, you know, if you're not already popular then I think it's a lot harder to do that right now. Cool.
0: So that's it. Yeah, that just flew by. Yeah, I had such a good uh, experience talking to you, listening to you. a huge fan. I'm number... Like, makers.dev is my number one go-to uh, podcast. I go to it immediately. So if you haven't checked out makers.dev, go to wherever you get your podcast and check them out. Is there anything you want to share with the listener, your Twitter account or anything that you're working on? Where can, can people find you online?
1: Uh, Sure. Yeah. Twitter is the biggest one. Chris Ashard on Twitter. It's great to hear you like makers.dev. Awesome to hear that we inspired you to start a podcast. Uh, I think anyone who who feels an itch should start a podcast. It's really been a neat experience. Thank
0: you for your time, Chris. Show notes can be found on buygrowrepeat.com. I am Johnny Tong on Twitter. This episode is edited by our good friend in the Netherlands, Rory Yonkukau. You can find his Instagram at Radio Rory.